0: Welcome into Poops Forum, a production of Radius Athletics and a Quick Time Out Podcast. I'm Tony Miller, and back again is my co-host, Randy Sherman. Before we get going, thanks to our sponsors over at 323 Sports. Summer camp season is here. If you have camp still on the docket coming up in the coming weeks or coming months, and you are in need of camp t-shirts or basketballs or other equipment for that camp, whatever it is, 323 Sports has what you need at great prices. I've been using them for years now, and you won't regret ordering from these guys. To find out more about what they can do for your program, visit 323sports.com, or you can contact a sales rep at sales at 323sports.com. They'll be sure to do it right for your summer camp programs. This is the week of the NBA Finals underway now. We are in the midst of the Finals at the date of this recording just game one last night and it kind of made me think about uh, the style of the NBA and the way in which the games are played and the adjustments are made from game to game and just kind of the uh, details of how those games are played and I thought Randy I kind of remembered that Randy had written something in years past about playing like the pros and so I went and searched that And I thought after reading it thought it would be a, a great topic for today a lot of times coaches especially ones who probably listen to our show probably aren't as big of nba fans as they are college high school and understandably so just the busyness of it maybe don't watch as many games or whatever yeah Uh, and that trickle down that that typically always happens But still, I I do feel like there's benefit, especially when you're watching at at a higher level and watching maybe NBA finals. uh, Some things that we can glean, and just kind of like the benefit of of at least taking some of the things that we're watching and and things that we can learn for for using with our colleges, college teams, and high school teams.
1: It's something that I get asked from time to time: is is can a say a high school coach or a college coach even like you know use some sort of x's and o's that that they see in a pro game and feel that that would be applicable to their actual you know basketball in their form where mm-hmm. at, at the level a coach i don't know i mean like will a six will, will a lob to i don't know rudy gobert like that yeah like i don't have that i don't have that kind of height and but what can we learn was kind of the question, like, let's don't rule it all out, like, like it's not zero percent applicable. Like, so let's don't rule it all out, like, like what concepts or what what sort of macro level ideas that professional teams play with could be borrowed and mm-hmm. could be learned. What was the sort of like genesis of that article? What concepts? What big level philosophies, high level philosophies that professional basketball does exemplary could I also use? Mm-hmm. so just trying to pick out some things that like to consider to play a more pro-like game at mm-hmm. your level
0: if you followed along with our series the last few weeks that we've had having to do with the split actions and then we had a couple more x's and o's series along with that i think one of the themes that has come up regularly has been the word that you just used concepts and actions and those are mm-hmm. i feel transcend all levels and so you may not have to your point the the size of the players or the speed of the players, or even the skill of the players at the level above you or all the way up to the NBA level. However, the concepts and actions within the game itself, it's good basketball at any level. We've got five of these. We've got some film that goes along with these as well as some diagrams. And yeah. So tip number one would be to
1: widen your positioning. I think it's really easy to say that like the, you know, the NBA three point line players tend to arrange themselves around the three point line and, and, you know the high school one is closer than the college one. The college one is closer than the pro one. What you see in an NBA game is is widen the positioning. Simply put, like where players stand is a little bit higher and wider, as players tend to sort of arrange themselves around the three point line. So a high school one at 19-9 and a college one at whatever it is twenty three something at the top of the arc, uh, but along the sidelines it's a little bit closer but couldn't we still at the lower levels play higher and wider like we don't have to put our tippy toes on the line just because uh, that's painted there right we could we could play off of it we could initiate Ball reversals sooner, or we could sort of like set our first action higher. Or I often see high school teams, like even some in the bigger schools, the bigger cities that have like pretty big rosters. Like I've I've got a few clients in in major cities, high level five A six A basketball, who their their rosters like college sized, and I'm like, you guys got to get off that three point line, man, like. Like these, the athletes are bigger and you need to space proportionally. So, yeah, just think about like maybe like I know some some college teams, if you go to their practice gym, I have seen them putting spots down on the floor or even taping another three point line that's even further out than the college three point line. They're calling it the four point line just to sort of like habitualize that behavior of widening our positioning. Don't crowd the three-point line, play off of it, stretch that defense vertically and horizontally to open space for cuts and rolls and penetration and things like that.
0: I don't think there's any faster way for you to doom your possession than to start in poor alignment. Just, Just again, watching high school, middle school kids this week I heard them communicate to each other. We need to get space better. But I, mm-hmm. I guarantee that if you were to ask them what that means, they're just going to say, get wider. This year, the best thing that has helped our program has been us doing what you just said about taping down the spots so that I can hold those guys accountable to. First, they can look on the floor and see this is where I need to target. And then second, if they're not in those spots, I can, I can free stuff and just simply say to them, look down. Are you where you need to be? Because, again, if you have players too close together, now you've narrowed driving lanes that increases turnovers, doesn't allow for cuts, doesn't open up space, and it's basically a domino effect. There's going to have to yeah. be somebody either jacking up a shot from really far out or or somehow creating something that probably isn't there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: we'll show them in just a second kind of some options with this, but I don't, yeah. it doesn't matter if you're a four-out, one-in team, a five-out team, whatever. I think that this is the first thing that you start with. Where are we supposed to get aligned when we come down the floor?
1: What we're looking at on the screen here is the Milwaukee Bucks, um, maybe a couple years old, but this is this is still the way they play. Same coach and sort of spaced high and wide and and arranged like this. And and I, I can remember making this video and and looking at maybe two seconds before the screenshot is taken as they're transitioning into the front court there were several clips I looked at where maybe the guy with the ball is going to reverse it to the trail guy in the middle of the court. And it almost looks like they're about to get a backcourt violation because it's almost like he's barely gotten over the half court line. He's going to have to take a big, long step. Like and not only widening positioning, but initiating your offensive, you know, this is the first pass is swing reversal. We're going to go top side, side around the horn. We can initiate that sooner. So many teams I see, Like it's almost like there's some like unwritten rule that they've got to get the ball all the way to some certain spot on the court before they initiate their offense. And like maybe that defense they're facing is picking up higher and they're like fighting the defense to get to this spot to start their offense instead of just like, just reverse it now, like reverse it now and get right into it and screen away or whatever, like initiate it sooner, higher, wider. So Just to put a bow on point number one, just do everything higher, wider to be more like the pros. Mm. Frame number one would be they're off the line, other than the guys in the dead corners, whereas there's you can't get off the line, you'd be out of bounds, right? But but if you'll notice like the subtle difference, whereas one on the left looks like a pentagon, like a home plate in baseball, the other one looks like a semicircle with all 10 toes on the line, there's more space (laughs) and more room in the middle of the court to, to for, for penetrating cuts, penetrating passes, rolls, drives, things like that. Also, too, you're you're if you're playing a team that wants to stay between ball and man or stay between one, you know, in a gap one pass away, you're you're playing right into their hands, man. Like there's 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 so little space between player A, player B, player C, and so on that you can defend a man and a half very easily thinking about using the entire floor from width and depth
0: all right second one here pick up the pace
1: well i mean the nba plays with a 24 second shot clock so they've got a governor on their game that, that keeps the pace where it is how can i play more like the pros if i was asked that one one question you know widen your positioning would be one pick number two might be pick up the pace like there's not enough time and there is some pace variance in the nba but it's not very wide because it can only go as slow as 24 seconds so but there are there is some pace variance but it's it's tighter when we when we get the ball back on defense either via rebound or we get scored on like think about coming right back and even if there's not a shot clock where you play or if it's 30 35 seconds where you play you know think about getting to an area of the court from which where we can score as soon as possible
0: how can coaches Uh, increase their team's pace without just playing faster because i think when people hear that they're just going to say to their players now faster faster
1: well i would i would say it doesn't have necessarily much to do with shooting the ball sooner it would just have to me it would have to do with sort of like the urgency at which we change change ends you see some teams when they get a rebound and, and, and then maybe they make an outlet, maybe they don't, but that's like, like, they're just kind of pivot and wait for the smoke to clear and then walk it up. Like, well, that's slowing down the pace. Whereas other teams may get a rebound or get scored on. They make an outlet and throw the ball ahead or, or a guy really races the dribble or the guy who gets the rebound busts out. You see that with Draymond Green. You've got, you've got the, the Warriors on the, on the screen right now. Like, he gets a defensive rebound and he's sort of their point forward, point center type player, and he busts out of there. So I'd say it has mostly to do with the urgency at which you get, get down the floor and, and transition. Uh, a, a phrase I use with my teams when I coach a lot is we want to get to what's next first. We want to get to what's next first. So in that transition to offense moment, what's next? Offense for us, defense for them. So we want to beat them to defense. Like we want to get to. Get to the what's next first, so yeah, so I think you're about to show some clips of Michigan, who is a college team, not a professional team, but they're coached by someone who spent a lot of years coaching in the as an assistant in the pros, Jawan Howard. So, their team, they're an example of a team who I would say sort of plays like the pros at a level below the pros. Mm-hmm. Most of his concepts and things he do, does were obviously learned as his years as an NBA assistant. You're going to see a team change ends and they're going to they're gonna pick up the pace by, by changing ends. Not only that, it's like then they get to like their first action, whether that's a ball screen, a handoff or whatever in your offense. But in this case, they're going to be ball screens. That they get to that early in the clock to conserve time. Like we need to get to this because what if they defend the first one? Well, we want to have a balance left on the shot clock to – Get to a second side, a second action, a third, maybe even a fourth action. Yeah, so you'll see the team rip, make a, a high outlet, which gets them up the floor faster. And by the time they get to their first ball screen, I think I pause it and I highlight the shot clock. The NBA, or I'm sorry, the NCAA plays with a 30-second shot clock. They're at a ball screen in four seconds. And that might be a way for you, listener, to look at your offense and watch and say, how many seconds is it taking us to get to the first kind of thing we want to do in our offense? And, and in these in these clips with Michigan here, it's consistently three or four seconds. I don't think anyone watches them and thinks like, what a, what a wild, furious, frantic team they are. They just get right to it, right? They just get right to it. Think about transitioning to these known spots that we talked about in point number one there are, and, and getting there, getting there quickly, and then getting right to our first action. So we've got a balance of time to use a second, third, fourth, even give ourselves a, a chance at a good shot.
0: Can you think of a drill or a way in which you got your teams playing faster?
1: We played a small a game where we would play like a game. It could be four on fourth, small sided, but it could be five on five where you got the points awarded for the balance left on the shot clock. So or uh you get what i'm saying so like maybe we scored in 10 seconds that leaves 20 there's 20 seconds left on the shot clock your basket counted for 20 points and kept score that way
0: if you want to see what that looks like just go on to google you can search mike neighbors quick strike and he yeah i've seen YouTube him video. talk about that there's a good youtube video on that. he has an explanation of it draws it out on the whiteboard then shows you clips of it so go check that one out for sure third one clean up your shot selection Play
1: like the pros. They have analytics staffs. Pretty much every franchise in the NBA has nerds, for lack of a better word, <laughs> sort of helping them like uh, with the numbers. And the numbers make their way onto onto the court. And this goes back to my point when we introduced this this topic today. Was like, what what do you see maybe at lower levels that you really don't see that much of or as often at professional level? One of them is shots sort of in that in-between land between rim and three point line. You you do see them occasionally and there are some players I'm thinking of like DeRozan, I'm thinking of Chris Paul, du- Durant. Du- Durant, Kawhi Leonard. You do see some, but as you're going to see in this next graphic if you if you took the the 100 most common shot locations in the NBA. Shout out to Kirk Goldsberry. This is from his terrific book Sprawl Ball it's a very interesting book about sort of like how analytics has been applied to the NBA and, and, uh, and we know it's trickling down to forward thinking coaches at lower levels of, of sort of cleaning up the shot selection. So top, top image you see there is NBA in the year 20, 2001, 2002, and each hexagon represents the one, the top 100 shot locations in that season. So you see some elbows, some free throw, lots of short corner. And then fast forward to 2016, 2017, the top 100 shot locations. It's like the top the top line would be – the top image would be like someone who wasn't a very accurate marksman shooting at a target, right? The bullets are hitting everywhere. But the bottom one, it, re- it went and tidied itself up like a Navy SEAL sniper. Like everything is very tight and tidy rim 3 the top 100 shot load there's not a there's not a anything in the top 100 shot locations in 2016 17 you can only imagine that's even gotten tighter in the 3 years since then 5 years since then everything has the top 100 shot locations have really gotten tidy and tightly arranged
0: do you feel like this is an outcome of teams just simply cleaning up their shot selection or is it also, or more so, the way in which the game and the offenses are designed now?
1: I think it's both. Like, like where players are standing is different. Fewer guys posting up. Um, it's The lane is open to either score at via a drive. and And if we kick the ball, we're kicking it to a player who's standing beyond the three-point line, not inside of it. So when the three-point line first came out, it was like coaches were like, I don't even... We don't even use that for anything like you would see like go back and watch some old, even Michael Jordan clips, and he's kicking it out to uh, a guy who's like standing at the elbow or something like, like you just don't see that. That's, that's what, that's like what you don't see. That's, that's a good way to, to frame this discussion it is a matter of the widened positioning, which was point number one. Like when a guy does penetrate or we do penetrate with a cut, if there's help at the rim and it gets kicked, it doesn't get kicked to a player standing inside the arc. <laughs> it gets kicked to a player standing beyond the arc because three is greater than two. Why would we, we're hoping to go to a higher value shot when when, the, when a close range shot is taken away. So it's based on research facts, numbers, and then carried out in tactics in terms of where do we stand, where, how do we move when a player penetrates or when the ball's in the post, where are we? And that leads to this outcome.
0: As you work with coaches, do you do any kind of exercise to help them analyze their own shot chart?
1: I just take a look at them and and just sort of like have them send me like their huddle shot distribution graphics that the huddle makes for them to kind of like see okay, what's your efficiency looking like
0: from these different
1: areas of the court and just by looking at the the, the data they have available.
0: Yeah. All right, yeah. number 4 is shooter to move it.
1: Yeah so I think this sort of like was was birthed by the Greg Popovich 0.5 mindset with the golden era Spurs with Duncan Ginobili and Tony Parker and that group who played some of the most beautiful basketball that's we've all seen and 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 now that got permeated through the NBA and it's trickling down with playing that 0.5 decision making mindset that that again our discussion to do is playing like the pros and like the one I think about this this we framed it to begin with like what don't you see in the pros that you do maybe see at lower levels is you do see say something like those Michigan clips we worked with when there's an early pick and roll a player penetrates maybe they don't score at the rim off that pick and roll they kick it out and then that ball is shot if it, if the, the the recipient of the kick out is open, has time and space, that ball is shot. That was the point. We we ran wide and deep. We set an early action. We created an advantage to penetrate the defense. They helped. We kicked and that's what we that's that's why we did it. What I maybe see sometimes at the lower levels is it's kicked to a player who's been red lighted by their coach. It's picked to a player who puts it over their head or dribbles it or the ball's been walked up the court and, and like it just doesn't seem to happen as smoothly as it does. Or what I'll see sometimes is like a player will receive that kick out pass that we just described and they'll drive it right back into a crowd instead of shooting it or making one extra pass. So you just don't see that in the pros. Mm-hmm. You do see it at lower levels. That's why they're lower levels, mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's quite difficult. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's ugly. It's, it's sometimes really unsensical. Mm-hmm. If that's a word, unsensible to, to like if I kick it to you, the defense has collapsed, you drive it right back into all the clutter that I created. Come on, like it's terrible. Like shoot it or move it. You think habits that maybe young players not as uh but like to me, that's that's also an example of something that's like a standard that could be adopted by a coach at any level mm-hmm. and talk to their players, like like good habits and behaviors. Uh-huh. Don't do this. <laughs> because it's ineffective. Yeah, so you're seeing uh, the the Golden State Warriors who exemplify this shoot-it-or-move-it concept probably as well or better than any team. But really, now the whole NBA plays with that 0.5-second, you know, create an advantage, use the advantage, move the advantage mindset. So, um, yeah, like what you're going to see, you know, here is probably an early penetration. Looks like Jordan Poole... There's a penetrating pass, it's kicked to the corner, shoot it, they they close out, and then now the ball just keeps moving and moving the the player. Every player that touches the ball is thinking, should I shoot this or move it along? Is someone closing out at me, reducing space and time? If so, move it. And if the next man's making the same decision in his head until finally the defense can't catch up or they, they overrun a closeout and we get the shot, a free and clear shot, which – pros make it a high level and your players will make it a higher level than they make contested
0: shots. (laughs) Several random points just to think about one that we just already mentioned. You saw the pace at which after the rebound was made, it wasn't a full out sprint that all the players were having, but there was a very quick decisive movement to a spot on the floor Mm -hmm. that would create depth and width. There was then second, a push ahead pass to get as early as possible a paint touch, which is what we're trying to do. We don't just want to, when even coaches say, I hear a lot of times like, move the ball, move the ball, move the ball. That's sometimes confused with just randomly passing the ball. Like, What are we trying to get from this? you are trying to get a pass ahead to get an early paint touch. You recognize that there was a defender. I saw chest. Mm -hmm. I kicked to an open teammate. There was a quick contest, a quick closeout. So I've one more to it. The team had the one more pass to pool who caught it Someone ready to shoot yeah. yep to somebody who was open there was a quick contest a shot fake a shot and i feel like playing with pace oftentimes leaves the defense scrambling and there is then mm-hmm. an indecisiveness of who even they're supposed to be guarding or matching up with what then it even allows on a, on a missed shot for the offense to get, or at least have a shot at getting an offensive rebound. It's not just one thing in isolation is going to make your offense better. These things, all these things that we've been talking about, have all, they work together to make your offense better.
1: Yeah, there's a hard way and an easy way. And sort of like not doing these four or five tips we've talked about feels like the hard way to me. Like if we're tighter, yeah, that's harder. <laughs> if we walk the ball up and let the defense get set and arranged, That's hard. That's the yeah, you can still get a basket. And, yeah, I understand some coaches want to control who gets the shots and stuff like that. But, like, still feels like the hard way to me. If we're taking mid-range shots, uh, contested mid-range shots and, and aren't sort of spacing and allowing opportunities to score at the rim and when that's taken away, you know, getting the maximum distance away from the defense, there's some guys who can make those tough shots. But, like, it still feels like the hard way to me. And like stopping the ball when I have an advantage, stopping the ball when we make that kick out pass and putting it over my head and letting the defense reorganize. Sure, you may still score, but it just feels like the hard way.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's a great way to put it. And then finally, exploit the mismatch.
1: Yeah, and and you brought up something with the finals that in the NBA, and, and particularly it seems like it's really under the microscope in the NBA playoffs, is the switching. By the defense and in the ball screen or any screens for that matter, handoffs, ball screens, things like that get switched a whole lot. Therefore, sometimes you get these big little mismatches or little big mismatches that present an advantage, present an advantage for, for the offense. Like we got a little guy on our big down low or vice versa. We got a big switched on to a quicker, shiftier guard and, and exploiting the mismatch. Is something that you see pros do a whole lot better, a whole lot more consistently. And I like to use the word lethally. Like they're lethal about it. Like if you are getting a bad switch, they just like, you're going to, we're getting the ball to that guy. Mm -hmm. And we're going to just pick on you and pick on you and pick on you. We don't care if it hurts your feelings. I just don't see the punishment of those, that increased amount of defensive switching, making it down to the lower levels, I don't know if that's maybe coaches just prefer their offense to keep flowing and keep moving and playing through all the switches. And I, I like that too. I get that. Just run another action, see if they'll mess up a switch or whatever. And, and maybe that, but it does seem like if you wanted to, the question is, how can I play more like the pros? One answer might be when we create a mismatch or they're mismatched in transition. We see that we recognize it, and we go to it. Celtics. One reason why they're super effective is they have multiple physical, kind of middle-sized guys who they're not so small that they can't guard a big, and they're not so slow that they can't guard a, a perimeter player. So they their switchability doesn't present as many mismatches. So that's one thing that's helped them make it have a great second half of the season and help them really be strong in the playoffs and and helped them last night and ultimately once they got their offense going in the fourth quarter like they can do that they can they can switch and it doesn't feel like this we got a mouse in the house thing or like this guy just doesn't have the feet to guard somebody out on the perimeter so yeah. that's why those those middle sized guys in the NBA six eight to six ten six seven six nine guys, With wingspan and physicality are so coveted, man, because like they can switch on, switch off to to guys quicker or bigger and still at least get a stalemate, right? So the topic for today is how to play more like the pros. I would ask a high school coach, like, have you gone small to exploit speed mismatch? Do you do you even think about that game? Are you only subbing out for fouls and mistakes and tired or whatever? Like, or are you thinking like Okay, well look at this team we're playing. we we're, we're gonna use we're gonna use this starting five tonight, or we're gonna you know, like because of the team we're playing, like we're gonna I just don't see that yeah. happening like it happens every night in all 82 games in these in the association and in the Euro League and, and things like that. Like so the topic is playing like the pros. Maybe we could start that revolution from the hoops forum podcast, where yeah. like we see more sub-professional teams thinking about lineup manipulation to sort of like create dilemmas for their opponents. I just don't hear the college game talked about like that or the, or any level non-professional talked about like that. Every once in a while you do, there's some teams like Alabama, Gonzaga sometimes does go big with their stable of big guys to sort of North Carolina did some, but like, By and large, it's just not how we're talking about the non-professional game.
0: And I would assume, maybe incorrectly, but I would assume that a lot of times that's to the fact that probably a lot of those coaches are tied to their plays rather than they are to the concepts. And so they feel like they have to play these players in order for us to be able to even be effective on the offensive end.
1: Yeah, it may require more than five players, right? Like we, you know, sometimes it requires bringing a guy off the bench to play more minutes, or, you know, like if you look at the Miami Heat, a guy like Duncan Robinson, who played heavy minutes in the regular season, barely played in the playoffs. Like because it changes, right? It, the nature of the game changes and mismatches are exploited. And they felt like defensively he is a liability. So he his playing time went down and other guys went up. I just don't see that sort of openness to manipulating our lineup to exploit advantages we might have in size and speed and athleticism or something over an opponent, like mm-hmm. talked about at non-professional levels, like it is at the professional level. But you know who does a better job of that than the high school coaches and college coaches? I I've talked to some AAU coaches mm. even like who they they sometimes will do that. They'll 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 like oh we we went to this line. I, I hear that talked about on that level a little more commonly.
0: So five tips for learning from the pros. Thanks to all of you who joined us this week. If you missed any part of the live show, you can go back and watch or listen to any part. Visit Radius Athletics on YouTube to see the full interview, or you can go to any podcast platform and search a quick timeout, and there you'll find the audio version of the show. For Randy Sherman, I'm Tony Miller. We'll talk to you again next time on Hoops Forum.